Welcome to the Perry Ritchie Group Podcast, bringing our communities the latest in wealth strategies, ideas, and updates on the capital market to keep you informed and confident. Listen in on conversations with our advisors and industry leaders around the country who are changing the landscape of their businesses. This is the Perry Ritchie Group Podcast. Today is Monday, November 6th, and you're listening to the Perry Ritchie Group Advisor Roundtable. I'm your host for today, Drew Ritchie, and we have the original four advisors here, Josh Marson, Sean Perry, Andrew Boyles, the, uh, yeah, the old team, just the four of us. The How old you guys squad doing? back. The old squad. We've got election day is tomorrow here, so it's Monday, November 6th. By the time you're listening to this, the Kentucky gubernatorial election as well as some other local elections are already going to be in arrears, so we're not going to speculate because if you're listening to this, you already know what's happened. But we do have some pretty interesting election kind of data, things that uh, the markets tell uh, the markets can tell us are happening uh, with the elections, but we've got quite a bit going on. Um, Sean, do you want to talk about some of the events that are happening within our practice over uh, the next couple of months? We've got Affordable Christmas with Hope House. Thank you, Drew. We do. <clears throat> you know, Hope House is an organization we partner with every year. We sponsor a golf tournament, but more importantly, we we help participate in the Affordable Christmas that they do. We host um, a toy collection spot here, so for clients drop off toys, um, they allow Hope House Affordable Christmas allows us families to shop for a percentage of the value and it restores dignity in the process. And we had Brian Lewis, the executive director on the podcast, maybe a year ago talking about affordable Christmas. So we're a drop off location through early December. Uh, the affordable Christmas day is December the 9th. And then we do a matching contribution to hope house for, uh, what clients give. So it's been something we've done for, 10 plus years. There's a lot of great <clears throat> charities, certainly a lot of great local charities, but we can't support them all. So Hope House has certainly been one that we've adopted, we would say. Hope House, along with Center for Courageous Kids, we have their big fundraiser. And Sean, you're still on the board of Center for Courageous Kids. We're chairman for quite a while. Yeah, about four right? years. <clears throat> and this year have been just a regular board member. And it feels good. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Still quite the commitment. Um, yeah. So uh, we know everybody's busy around the holiday time. Everybody's going to be seeing your families. We got Thanksgiving coming up. Uh, yeah. It's just crazy for everyone. But do take some time to uh, think about how you can give back and be a part of the community that you're in. Uh, and if you're not local to us, we're we're in Bowling Green, Kentucky. So we're talking about charities that are close to us right here in our area that, that our team's involved in. Andrew, other than um, kind of what's going on in the practice, we do a lot of planning all year uh, for our clients, but there's some specific things that we can be doing between now and the end of the year to maybe help move the needle. We, we always encourage clients to focus on what they can control, right? And we're going to get mm -hmm. over to Josh in just a second talking about the things that we can't control that we like to pontificate on, if you will. But what are some things that we can control that our clients can focus on between now and the end of the year? Absolutely. First thing is your personal savings rate. So we were talking just last week, the IRS came out and announced their contribution limits for retirement plans for 2024. So we actually bared here our open enrollment starts today for benefits. So uh, while 401ks, generally you can make changes anytime throughout the year. When you think about those limits, 
uh, for individuals under 50, you're going to be able to save $23,000 into a 401k plan next year. If you're over 50, you get an additional $7,500 limit or uh, contribution limit called a catch up. So just planning for next year, planning for those contributions, your savings rate, but also reviewing your other benefits as applicable to make sure they're the way you want them going into to the new year. It's a great point. Open enrollment for benefits is something that uh, we talk to people about. They'll call us with questions and, you know, as advisors, we're, you know, we want to help consult on, on anything that we can. If it's outside of our wheelhouse, we'll tell you, but there's things like, you know, if you have a health savings account that you can contribute to, if you want to have a conversation with us about things like that, please let us know. It's also open enrollment for Medicare. I'm not sure when that closes. Uh, I had a meeting last week with one of our clients who's a, an agent and, uh, just talking about, about that. I, uh, was home over the weekend and people are, uh, you know, my, my parents took their phone off the hook because they're continuously getting bombarded with sales calls for open enrollment Medicare. So that's something else that we can help connect people with if they have a need there. There was a great article in the Wall Street Journal four or five days ago about health savings accounts. And it said in there, I think the stat was 51% of the people still think health savings accounts are like FSAs, flexible spending accounts, in the sense that they're use it or lose it. And I had this conversation with um, a friend who's in, who's asking me about HSAs, and he he said, "Yeah, I had that same thought. Is why would I do this if I can lose it?" And so was able to share with him where that article, where he could find that article himself, and um, I think it was really really helpful for him. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Josh, I'm looking at you. We've had a lot of people over the last few weeks, month, you know, since the market really peaked in July, we'll say peaked from the last kind of way up. It's pulled back quite a bit. Uh, we had a lot of folks concerned the last few weeks, and then we've seen a rally of somewhere, somewhere in the neighborhood of 5%, depending on what index that you follow. Isn't that right, Andrew matters what index you're looking at. That's right. So Josh, are the feds going to raise rates again? I sure wish I knew. No, you, um, you just told me earlier. Just, just, just say it again. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I mean, yeah, you, you, you got to take them to the word. So Jay Powell came out last week, held rates directly where they are. They're still in a um, restrictive monetary stance. So what that tells me is they're going to continue to hold rates high. Uh, they're, I don't believe they're going to come out and say, okay, we're done raising rates. Because if they do that, inflation goes up three months later and they have to turn them back on. It doesn't uh, exude confidence in the people making those decisions. So you got to take him for his word. As of right now, the data that they're looking at, there seems not to be a need to raise rates again. Uh, something else that they've noticed is the labor market has softened a little bit. Okay. What do you so, mean by that? When the labor market softens up, that means there's essentially unemployment is beginning to increase slightly. Okay. Um, when you had, and, and why the, it's, the market is better for employers that are looking for jobs. That's I right. I mean, that are looking for employees. Yeah. And the, the theory behind it is if you have a tight labor market, the second thing that happens is you have wage increases. The third thing from there is that wage increase cuts to the bottom line of the company. And the fourth thing that happens is that 
wage increase that's cut to the bottom line gets passed on to the consumer, which in turn will push inflation up. So if they see softening, which unemployment going up, wage increases possibly going down, that can help with that inflation number. So what are some things that could happen that may cause them to reverse course and raise rates again? Um, we get a reading on inflation that is unexpected. Um, what that number could be, I don't know. But at this point, interest rates are going to go up if they all of a sudden see inflation spike up for some reason. Sean, earlier this morning on our uh, monthly, or I'm sorry, our Monday morning advisor meeting, you told us that um, the 10-year U.S. Treasury had peaked just over 5%, right? That was the big number that everyone was talking about. Like, is it going to go over 5? And I remember there was one day where it closed at like 4.98, and then overnight it went over 5. But it was it was teetering around there, the 10-year. And then it's it's scaled back around 10% lower now, right? Yeah, that's you, you said it that way earlier, and I, I was like, I mean, I just hadn't thought about it in the sense of in, that it has done that, and it's done it in a matter of, well, so quick that I didn't notice that it happened, which is, which is really interesting. So let's just talk about that for a second. Because it's, it's, um, when, when our clients call and they ask about the interest rate, what are rates going to do? Nothing has happened with the Fed funds rate since when was the last increase? The last two meetings, they haven't done anything. Right? It was a quarter, but I don't I remember. Say maybe in the summer. So maybe in, in July. Maybe in the maybe summer. Maybe August, but not. So what's what would cause it to cause the 10-year U.S. Treasury? So we know the Fed funds dictates the Fed funds rate, but we, we tend to monitor the U.S. Treasury, the 10-year number. That's kind of the what the industry uses. What would cause it to drop so sharply? I'm not trying to stump you guys on the round table. This is being never, recorded. They say never ask a question you don't already yeah, have the answer to. I know. <laughs> That's why I'm asking it. I'm not sure about the answer to that, but one of the things, you know, as Josh was talking about inflation, it's hard for me to not imagine that we're, there's a slowdown happening that we're not seeing when you just look at what interest rates are now. I mean, I think um, talking to people that are in the construction industry, you know, you're hearing like 8% eight and a half percent construction loans. I know mortgages, 30 year mortgages were at seven or they're seven days pushing almost 8%. Yeah. Which is right at the 50 year average, I think. Right. Yeah, it is. But you're also seeing people that there's a lot of people that have sub three and a half percent mortgages. So it'd be hard for those people to sell their house, move to a new house where their interest rates going to go up by more than double. So it just seems like some of that stuff is going to have to impact and calls it definitely going to cause new construction starts to slow down. Yeah. And and property values are are where they are based on a lower rate environment. I think a lot of people decide what their budget or what what you know what size house they're going to buy by what payment they can afford, right? Mm-hmm. They back yeah. into it. So when that rate goes from 2 and a half or 3% to 7 or 8, that's a it's huge. It's huge. It's a vast difference on those wouldn't you say yeah sean you're talking about this a little bit where those rates are locked in at say plus or minus three percent and one of the things in the last couple months that's gotten a lot of attention is the the restart of student loans and how that's going to be pulling uh extra spending away from other parts of the economy that are now going to have to be redirected towards those student loans but 
when you do have largely, you know, a home is going to be one of the, the most major purchases somebody ever makes in their life. But when it's locked in at that rate, uh, it's locked in for likely a longer term that does provide that, that extra cushion. So it is interesting to see how those dynamics are, are working together. I've always wondered who knows how long the mortgage concept has been around, but the fact that there's still no portability to mortgages, like if you have a house and you're paying a mortgage and you move to a house that's really similar, you would think something over the years would have figured out some way where it's like, oh, we'll just transfer your mortgage over here and keep the rate you have. And, but that doesn't, to, to my knowledge, still doesn't exist. And I'm sure that gets into Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and some of the mortgage entities that backstop a lot of these mortgages. But. That's interesting. So let, let's spend just a, a, a few minutes talking about next year. Um, you know, we're, we're nearly two years into an economic slowdown. We're on a big interest rate increase cycle. We've seen inflation come down because a lot of investors are getting fatigued, weary of, you know, the markets being not, not great. We'll say not, maybe not as bad as people perceive, but not great this year and, and down, you know, across the board in 2022, but being an election year next year, what does history tell us about investing during election years, investing after these cycles that we're in, investing, you know, where rates, we've already ridden the the rate cycle up to the top. So investing through a, a lowering environment. I think that we're setting ourselves up nicely for a lot of different things that are all in isolation, very positive, right? So let's talk just for a second about the investing during an election year. Andrew, you got some thoughts on that? Well, I know generally speaking, and I don't have anything in front of me at, at the moment that that speaks to this, but it, it is easy for our emotions to get caught up in in that mix because we're very passionate, uh, red or blue, um, when it comes to an election and and a lot of the social, economic, there, there's a lot of implications of an election, but generally we know that the market tends to prefer some type of split government where both parties have some type of control because it often means that whatever gets passed is going to be more mild or, or moderate um, and, and not create a, a significant amount of change throughout uh, tax, estate, um, all, all of those things that can have an impact on the market. So maybe the better question <clears throat> is, um, you know, our client base would be pretty well like the rest of the country, pretty, pretty well split, half red, half blue. We'll say so. No matter what you think's going to happen, right? You're you've got there's a, a reciprocal person there somewhere for you out there that thinks exactly the opposite. So whether you think it's going blue or you think it's going red, you're probably nervous one way or the other about your money. Is there anything that tells us that getting in or out or waiting till after an election to see? You know, people say that I'm going to wait until the after the election to invest my 401k. I'm going to be out of the market until after the election and see what happens. I'm I think about the ones that said Trump got elected. I want to get out of the market because it's going to be bad for the market. And you know, it was one of the biggest bull markets that we've ever may ever see. I mean, not, and I'm not in any way trying to be political. Just so that's, you're for Trump. You're just, <laughs> <laughs> if he runs, right. I'm not answering that question. Okay, no. um, joke. That was a joke. Compliance. One thing investment related that I do think is important is the, the short-term rates are so high right now and the, 
that three, six, nine month treasury market is like the shiny thing that's attracting everybody. And it's just important to realize that there's good long-term rates available for people. And I would much rather have a longer term rate locked in than this great short-term money market fund that is, if we know anything, it's going to change. Because it's money market, it's going to change. Could it go up? Yes. It's more likely to go down than it is up. And I think just not being so focused on that short end of the curve is the one thing I wish I could tell more people, if I could tell them anything. I was going to say, too, you can take out the election theme or concept from that and really insert anything of, I'm going to wait until this is over to invest. You know, a lot of people right now would say the market has been volatile this year. And as you said, really last 18 months, almost two years. But right now, uh, we've got a strong economy. We've got eight out of 10. This is for the third quarter. Eight out of 10 companies in the S&P have beat their estimates for earnings. So if companies are, are making money, the economy strong, you would think that the market probably would be reacting more positively to that. But we often see good economic news come out, but then some other story or theme caused the market to maybe go down on that day. So it, it's really hard to for any type of news, political, market, economic, to, to say the market's going to do this because of this. Do you know what else people say they're they're going to wait until things are just right before they do? Have a baby. <clears throat> and who had a baby? Andrew. Andrew had a baby. My wife had a baby. I'm going to save <laughs> I'm going to save a little bit more money. <laughs> Andrew's hey yeah. that's good. This is yeah. recorded. Andrew's wife had a baby. Yeah. yeah. So you should look at your savings rates. So, this is Andrew's first advisor roundtable since being a new father. So congratulations mm-hmm. to Andrew. Can you hit the applause you. button for us? Do you yeah, know which I, one it I is? I forgot which color. You'd probably, it probably be He's sleep deprived at this point. Wah, Just wah. Hit, one, hit one of them and see <laughs> yeah. if you can guess. Yeah. Hit you one. thought about a All 529? Right. Let's time? see. Oh. Oh. Right. We're not telling jokes. Right. That was close. All right. Jokes, jokes Maybe on next you. time. All right. That's all the time we have today in our studio for the advisor roundtable. congratulations andrew though on being a new father there's nothing like it it's great and just wait people will be asking you when the next one's coming before you know it so if if it hasn't happened already when is the next one coming by the way i'll tell you on next month's advisor roundtable. all right well you better listen in so until next month this is your perry ritchie group advisor team signing off thank you very much This podcast is intended for information and educational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any security or instrument or to participate in any particular trading strategy. The information is considered to be from reliable resources, but its accuracy is not guaranteed. The opinions expressed are those of the show's host and guest and are not necessarily those of Robert W. Baird & Company, Inc. Baird does not offer tax or legal advice. Securities and investment advisory services are offered by Robert W. Baird & Company, Inc., a registered broker, dealer, and investment advisor member, member FINRA and SIPC. Robert W. Baird & Company, Incorporated.